I think that that game is probably, if, if not the most important game on their schedule within the ACC, that I think is the game that they'd most, they'd feel best about having taken care of business in. Hello and welcome to the Thursday, August 18th edition of Always College Football. I'm your host, Craig McElroy, still in Charlotte with my man, Mark Kubiak, who's right over here. We really appreciate you being with us from wherever it is you're getting the podcast from, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or if you're here with us on the ESPN YouTube channel, please like, rate, and subscribe. It helps us out. It helps the show out. We have a great show in store for you today. It is part three of the Giant Killers discussion, meaning basically teams that you don't want to play. If you missed any of those previous series, previous parts of the series, you can check it out. Monday and Wednesday, we all went into it. It was a really good discussion. I think you'll enjoy the teams that we're going to talk about today. These teams are dangerous. You don't want to play them. You don't want to see them. So without much further ado, let's talk about it. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. So start with the Washington Huskies. Here's the spoiler games. Michigan State comes to them on September 17th. They go to UCLA on September 30th, and they have Oregon. They're on the road at Oregon on November 12th. Now, how likely is it that UCLA is in the playoff picture? Just hear me out, all right? They're the big games, all right? I've picked all the big games that I think are very winnable for Washington, even though they're coming off of obviously a very disappointing season. No one's going to sit there and look and say that 2021 was a great year, a banner year for the Huskies. We know that's not the case. Here's some of the positives. Some of the reasons why we feel like they could potentially pull off a significant string of upsets. Kalen DeBoer, he comes to Washington after having led Fresno State last year. Remember, Jimmy Lake was the head coach. He was fired. Kalen DeBoer comes up from Fresno State. The offense last year stunk. I don't know how else to sum it up. And they were not good. Uh, Very inconsistent, very subpar. And for whatever reason, they just could never really get anything going. They didn't have an identity. Just It was a troubling watch, long story short. Well, Kalen DeBoer comes to Washington having done a remarkably good job at Fresno the last couple of years. Last year's Fresno offense averaged 465 yards a game, and they averaged 33 points a game. That's a whole heck of a lot better than what Washington had at any point last year. All right, their other good news, I think they have a quarterback. I don't care which one it is. <laughs> it might be Dylan Morris. The incumbent from last year might be Sam Heward, who started at times last year, or it could be the transfer from Indiana, who's very familiar with Kalen DeBoer's offense because they overlapped at Indiana, Michael Penix. All three have college experience. 
Penix was 12 and five at Indiana and might have a slight leg up in the competition given his experience and also given the fact that he's very familiar with Kayla DeBoer's offense. So either way, I think the quarterback position will be rock solid for the Huskies here in 2022. And they should have lots of weapons on the outside. Their wide receiver core, if you really look into it, they might be the best position group on the team. Also should be fairly deep at running back as well. So the offense does have some firepower. It's definitely a good place to start when trying to pull off a significant upset against some of the aforementioned teams. Here's the negatives, okay? While they have firepower on offense, the offensive line is a massive concern. But according to what they're saying, and if you read between the lines and the press clippings, we know that their offensive line struggled last year. That's no secret. But if you read between the press clippings and things like that, there's actually just a veiled optimism coming from Kalen DeBoer and his staff. Now, I, how much do we take with that? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> but I mean, hey, he's not like, hey, we're getting sacked every time. We can't throw it in our scrimmages. No, it sounds like they're they're actually a little bit pleased with what they have on that side of the ball. Here's the other problem is that Washington, you think about the great Washington defenses, right? Think about the one in 2016 with Greg Gaines and Vita Vea and all these big old bodies along the defensive front. Well, that was a group that was about as good as anyone against the run. Well, guess what Washington wasn't good at last year? That was against the run. They gave up 200 yards rushing a game. All right, that is just not good enough. Not good enough. One of the worst in college football. And they were pretty dang beat up on defense. They've had guys that, that were lost in winter workouts. They had guys that are coming back from injury last year. So there's a little bit of quest. I mean, I don't want to say, I don't want to say that people are really concerned, but I do think that they won't be at full strength at the beginning of the season. So we could potentially unfairly judge what they might be. So they better get healthy and they better get everybody back. And then we'll probably make a good assumption about who they are. They're at middle to late September. Like I said, the bad news is they have Michigan State in week three. So they better be good coming out of the gate because they have obviously an incredible opponent there. If you're bad against the run, I think Michigan State's probably not the team you want to see. So you got to figure out how quickly those guys that have been lost with injury, how quickly will they be back and will they be available for the stretch run in October and November? They also lost both corners of the draft. And if you look at their secondary, this is a group that rotated about, gosh, it felt like 40 guys in their secondary. Various different positions, different groupings, different matchups, different personnel groupings. I mean, it was it was a who's who on the back end for Washington. Every time I turn on the tape, it's like, all right, well, that guy's new. That guy's new. He was playing corner last week. It's like they were really mixing it around. They have to solidify their starting four and solidify their starting five when they get in the nickel. Because if they don't, rotating guys in and out, it's going to be difficult for the continuity. And it will be tough, I think, for the growth and development of this team in the future. However, Washington, with their quarterback play, with their firepower, with their running backs, they do, I think, have a chance to make a little bit of noise against the Michigan State at UCLA and at Oregon, three of the biggest games on their schedule. What happened to Washington? I mean, this is a team that won a national championship. They were in the playoffs. You know, I mean, that's not going that far back. I'm sure their fans are waiting and turning it around. How long is it going to take to get Washington kind of back to where the Husky fans expect it? Well, I mean, I don't know. Uh, I mean, you hear you know, differences of, of opinion, you know, Washington, I think has a little bit of an identity crisis because there's a little bit of, 
well, we have that we're kind of like Michigan in the Pacific Northwest, but we're also a little bit like Oregon because we can attract players from all over the country. But their best success in the modern era has been with developing guys. Coach Peterson didn't really pay attention to you know the expectations and recruiting and all this other stuff. He just went out and said, hey, this guy fits what we do and we're going to develop him. And as a result, we're going to win in time because we're all about development. So if they can't attract the top billing players, which they're not going to be able to do, then they better be keen on development. And it feels like that's what this staff is all about. Kalen DeBoer is all about ball. I mean, he is a ball coach. It's not about the flashiness, not about trying to win a press conference or like that. He just wants to coach and he wants to get down to blocking, tackling, and execution. And that might be exactly what Washington needs to get back to the top of college football, even though it feels like a long way away given what they've done the last couple of years. Let's move next to Virginia. Uh, here's some of the spoiler games. Virginia, to me, is quintessential spoiler because they have a great quarterback that can score a ton of points. And if it becomes a shootout, they're very comfortable playing in a game that gets into the 50s uh, when it comes to points scored for both teams. So here's their spoiler games. Couple that with the fact that they can score a lot of points and all their difficult games are at home for the most part. Pretty good recipe. They have Miami coming to their place on October 29th. North Carolina is there on the 5th of November. Pitt's there on the 12th of November. How about that for a three-game stretch? And then Coastal Carolina. How about this? It's an interesting non-conference game there in the second to last week of the regular season. You have Coastal Carolina. How about that four-game stretch? Miami, UNC, Pitt, Coastal Carolina. Those are four weeks in a row. So tough sledding for the Wahoos, that's for sure. But some of the positives, like I already alluded to, Brennan Armstrong is worth the price of admission, but he's not alone. He's an outstanding quarterback. He's athletic. He's big. He can drive the ball down the field. He's smart. He's got a quick release. The only thing is he throws it lefty, and lefties always freak me out because I'm a right-handed quarterback. But either way, he is a great, great, great player and a perfect piece for Tony Elliott to build his team around. He doesn't do it alone, though. Keaton Thompson's back. Detavian Hick, uh, Wicks is back. Billy Kemp is back. Lavelle Davis is back after being out last year with that ACL injury. So there's a lot of offensive firepower back for a team that's going to score a million points. Here's the other piece of good news is that last year defensively, they were so bad. They were so bad, but they were predictably bad. I mean, you knew where they were going to be this year. They're at least going to attempt to be multiple. Now, they also bring back their most productive tackler last year in Nick Jackson, who had 117 tackles, but he's going to be asked to take an additional step. So under new defensive coordinator John Radzinski, they will have different looks. So even if they don't have the personnel, and they likely won't have the personnel, let's just be honest, the different looks, the different alignments, the different pressures, all that, that multiple look scheme if you can create chaos for the opposing offense because you throw so much at them, you might be able to read and maybe even gain some tangible results. Here's the only problem is that when you do a lot of different things good, you don't do any one thing excellent. So yes, they might have more, but will they be as good at their base stuff that it remains to be seen. The negatives of the offensive line is a massive question mark. They got to replace all five starters from last year. And with their quarterback, like Brennan Armstrong can run, but he's not a runner. So that I think is something that they're going to need to figure out. They also have to really find some type of a heartbeat on defense. 
Look, we reference the fact they're going to be multiple. That will hopefully help things. But goodness gracious, defensively, man, it was almost difficult to watch at times last year. So I think this team is super dangerous. New head coach, Tony Elliott. They're going to be more balanced offensively. They're going to, I think, take the pressure off their defense because they're not going to score as quickly, not going to run as many plays. They're not going to try to snap it quite as fast. So hopefully their defense will be better as a result of that. So they're very, very dangerous, but they still have a lot to figure out before they come become consistently good in what should be an improved division this year. If you're Tony Elliott, outside of Virginia Tech, what's the one game you want to win to show your fan base that you're heading in the right direction? I would say Miami is probably the biggest one. I mean, obviously, Virginia Tech's significant. Um, Pitt won the Coastal last year, so you deserve to tip your cap for that. But if you can knock off Miami, because Miami's surging a bit, and Miami is going to captivate a bit of an audience. People are paying attention to what Mario Cristobal is doing in year number one. They have a great quarterback. I think that that game is probably, if, if not the most important game on their schedule within the ACC... That I think is the game that they'd most they'd feel best about having taken care of business in. So I'm not sure there's a there's an approach. You want to win them all, obviously. You want to beat your rivals. That's the second most important thing. But if you could take care of Miami, knowing that they also just got a new head coach, but their head coach comes with a whole heck of a lot more fanfare than your head coach came with, that would be a pretty significant W for the Wahoos. Let's go to TCU a team that was a spoiler last year. They beat Baylor. Remember that? So I think that this team is already dangerous. They've been dangerous for years and they will likely be dangerous again here in Sonny Dykes' first year there in Fort Worth. Here's the dangerous games. They host Oklahoma on October 1st. They have Oklahoma State on the 15th of October. They go to Texas on November 12th and they go to Baylor on November 19th. Here's the positives. Dykes is a quarterback coach. That's what he does. Well, he also has two great quarterbacks. That's right. You heard that right. Two great quarterbacks to choose from. Don't think you can go wrong with either one, I might say. You can go with Max Duggan, who started 29 games and beat Texas twice. Or you can go with Chandler Morris, who last year had 531 total yards of offense against a Baylor defense that went on to win the Big 12 in the upset victory of the Bears. So Chandler Morris was a big-time recruit of the high school. And Max Duggan, those two guys are competing neck and neck. One guy's the guy one day, one guy's the guy the next day. They've been going back and forth. So we'll see who ends up winning that job. But either way, Chandler Morris and Max Duggan, I think, are poised to have a big year in a very quarterback-friendly offense. They're not to do it alone, by the way. Tons of offensive firepower. Kendrick Miller's back. He's averaged seven and a half yards a carry in his career. That's a running back. You bring back Quentin Johnson. He's going to move to X. Quentin Johnson is known for his speed. The guy averages 20-plus yards per reception in his career. And in this offense, that X receiver is going to take the top off the defense. They're going to throw it deep to him. He's going to make big plays, and that speed will be on full display. You also bring back Tay Barber and Darius Davis, who will likely handle the slot. Those two have combined for 192 catches in their career. They might have 192 this year, especially if they occupy the slot in this very pass-happy style of attack. So they have great personnel along the offense at skill positions, both at wide receiver and at running back. And you really look at it, they have a fairly veteran group on the defense side of the football. They have a lockdown corner in Trevius Hodges-Tomlinson. And they bring back D winners 
at linebacker. So this is a fairly veteran group for the most part on the defensive side. They've always relied a lot on speed. So it's going to be a little bit different now moving forward. But either way, it's a lot of guys that have played a decent amount of football. They just haven't always played a high level of football over the last couple of years. Here's the negatives. They have a new defensive structure with Joe Gillespie. He comes down from Tulsa. And if you look at what TCU has been forever, I mean, I'm talking two and a half decades, it feels like, since Gary Patterson was there, they were always a 4-2-5 defense. Four defensive linemen, two linebackers, five in the defensive backfield. All right? Well, Joe Gillespie runs a 3-3-5. Very, very different. You're going to say, well, no, you just take a DN, you make him a linebacker, how hard can it be? Not really. If you look at Tulsa and teams that run this 3-3-5, they have big bodies along the defensive front. Why? Because if you have a 3-3-5 and you have small guys, guess what teams are going to do? They're going to line up and run it right down your throat until you like it or make an adjustment. Well, does TCU have enough big bodies along the defensive front to play this 3-3-5 style of attack? Now, they'll eventually get there, but this has long been a defense that's prided themselves on having speed and athleticism. Well, that includes the front guys. Unless they have a bunch of guys that all of a sudden bulked up to 320, 330 pounds, then this might be a little bit of an awkward transition. We'll see. I have a lot of faith in Joe Gillespie. I think he's really good. And I like the style and I like where they're heading. Just will they be there in year number one? We'll find out. They also have been a little bit of a front runner too with TCU. It feels like when they come out and they're playing well in the first quarter, then you're going to have a four quarter day against them. But if they come out and they get punched in the mouth, they have not responded that well in the last few years. They've been a little bit of a front runner. So I think you never really know what you're going to get week in and week out. I think part of that had to do with the fact that Gary Patterson and that staff had grown just the tiniest bit stale. So hopefully with Sonny Dykes coming over from SMU, he injects a shot in the arm and they're going to be a little bit better as a result of that. There's a little more energy surrounding the program. It'll be more exciting to play in, maybe a little bit more fun for the players but the inconsistency has been a little bit troubling from time to time. So will we get their best if they don't play well in the first quarter has been a pretty significant question mark with TCU the last couple of years. All right, moving on to the next team on our spoiler alert teams of the year. Uh, this is Cal. Okay. They have a couple spoiler games. One's against Notre Dame. That's early in the season. They're at Notre Dame, by the way, they're in South Bend. They're on, no on September 17th. They haven't beaten Notre Dame ever in their history, and they haven't played in 55 years. So I wouldn't say this is a rivalry, even though, you know, obviously Notre Dame plays Stanford all the time. Stanford is Cal's rival. So are they like rivals by association? I don't really know how that works, but either way, we have that game for the first time in quite a while. Oregon will be heading to Berkeley on October 29th. They go to USC on November 5th, and they have UCLA at home in the regular season finale on November 25th. Here's the positives. This team was really close last year. Really, really close. They lost five games by a touchdown or less, including at Oregon by seven, at TCU by two, and at Washington by seven in overtime. So they were really, really close in a bunch of different games, and they just couldn't quite close it out. Now, they bring back Brett Johnson, too. Here's the other piece of positives. He might be their best player. And if you look at what he brings as far as versatility along the defensive line, 
this guy has a chance to be a significant difference maker. He can play inside. He can play outside. Him being back now after suffering that hip injury two years ago, he had to miss all of last year. He had a car accident, had a hip injury, had to miss all of last year. Well, he's now back healthy, and they're very excited about the rehabilitation process that's gotten him back to this point. So hopefully he'll return to being the player he was before. They also have great depth at linebacker, led by Jackson Sermon. The guy had the second most tackles among returnees in the Pac-12. So he has a chance, I think, with 91 tackles to add maybe 30% to that. Wouldn't shock me if he got to the 120s if they continue to play him at a very high level. Here's the problem. The offense, albeit a little bit hit or miss over the last couple of years, is going to look completely different. They lost their top four players in terms of receiving production. They lost their longtime quarterback in Chase Garbers. So they also just are going to look almost unrecognizable compared to the Cal team we saw the last couple of years. Now, they do bring in Jack Plummer, who's a transfer from Purdue, did get some time last year as the starter for Purdue, but was inevitably beaten out there as the season went along by Aiden O'Connell. But either way, they do have a quarterback with some experience, just not a ton of experience. So this Cal team, I don't know if they can score enough points, but it does feel, and this maybe just me reading between the tea leaves, and just maybe I'm reading too much into it. And if I am, just tell me, okay? I think Justin Wilcox, the head coach at Cal, there's rumors, it's reported that he was offered the Oregon job and turned it down. Well, why was that? That's where he went to school. That's where he played. Why did he turn it down? Because he feels pretty good about his team at Cal this year, perhaps? I don't I don't know. I really don't know. But hey, if, if you like the food for thought, if you like the conspiracy theories, there you go. Why'd he turn it down? Because he has a great team coming back this year. And who knows? We've seen Cal pull off big upsets in the past. I remember a couple of years back, they were playing against Washington State. Washington State, I think, was a top 10, top 15 team. Cal dropped them like a bad habit. So this team has been dangerous in the past. Will they return to being dangerous again this year? We'll find out. I think they definitely have that chance. What's the one game for Cal? I mean, is it, is beating Stanford enough? Like, or what's the game that has to get Cal to the next level? I mean, you mentioned it. Wilcox had this team ranked. They're not getting to the next level. You keep saying next level. Like, what's the next level? Well, <laughs> like, okay, for I Cal, mean, Cal I think the next level would be like nine, ten wins. Like, that would be a great level for Cal to get to. I think but like, you got to get the bowl eligibility it? first, though. You got to get the bowl eligibility first, though. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm all about like, Everybody's hey, I'm dream eligible. big. Like, there's. Nobody's but I mean, there's 80 true. something bowl games. Everybody <laughs> plays in a bowl game. Yeah, if that were true, then a lot less coaches would get fired every year. Um, I think the big game for Cal is Oregon. Um, granted, yeah, you want to beat Stanford, you want to beat your rival, but knowing this year, I think it depends because yeah, UCLA this year, especially knowing that Cal right now, uh, the Regents there in California. They're really ticked off about UCLA going to the Big Ten. So Cal has UCLA in the regular season finale. Maybe UCLA is sitting there 8-3, and 9-2, and two, have had a great year. Maybe UCLA with a win could punch their ticket to the Pac-12 championship. I mean, anything's possible. None of that would really surprise me. And then Cal has UCLA coming to their place saying, hey, no, you're, not, you're leaving us for the Big Ten for the bigger check. Fine. Well, we're going to sue you. The UC Board of Regents is going to sue you, and you're going to have to pay us retribution, and we're going to beat you. Like, I think that that this year would be probably the biggest game. But I would say traditionally, even though we've abandoned divisions in the Pac-12, Oregon, outside of the game against Stanford, 
would probably be the biggest game, at least in recent history, for the Cal Bears. If they can pull that one off, I would think most people, regardless of whether they go bowling or get the eight, get the nine, I think most people would view Cal's season as a success if they can beat Stanford and they can beat Oregon. I think they have a chance this year to be very, very dangerous. Just got to figure out the quarterback spot, and they have to plug some of those pieces in off on offense that they lost. All right, moving on to another team that I think has one of the toughest schedules in America. It is an absolute murderer's row, but it also sets you up to be one of our spoiler teams here in the Giant Slayers uh, thing that we've done all week. So it's fun. All right, here, here's Syracuse. Okay, Syracuse. You're going to say Syracuse, really? Like their schedule is impossible. I think they could get to a bowl game. I really do. It's not going to be easy, but I think they can get to a bowl game. However, envisioning the bowl game right now, after I read off this list of really difficult games, will be a little bit tricky. <laughs> How about this? Louisville, that's week one. Week three, you have Purdue. Purdue won nine games last year. NC State comes to your place on October 15th. NC State's a preseason top 13 team in the country. They go to Clemson on October 22nd. That's the week after NC State. Now, they've given Clemson fits in the past, but that's been a little while since that's been the case. Notre Dame is in the Carrier Dome. Not even the Carrier Dome anymore. I don't remember what it's called. But anyways, they're going to upstate New York there on October 29th. They're at Pitt on November 5th. And then they have Florida State at their place on November 12th. And that was like seven or eight really good teams, really good games in like a 10-week period. (laughs) That is a gauntlet for Syracuse. And I think it's going to be very, very difficult. However, they have some good pieces to rely upon. I think they arguably have the best running back in America not named Bijan Robinson. Or if you want to take it one step further... We had someone reach out the other day in our comments saying, well, no one talks about Braylon Allen. Yeah, he's great. I'm just, I think Sean Tucker at Syracuse is the best back that nobody ever talks about. Nobody talks about him for the most part in the national media, but he's an all-time great already and could even take that next step this year. And he's done so, by the way, with a substandard offensive line at times. Him combined with Garrett Schrader at quarterback is a pretty dynamic one-two punch there in the run game. Now, they've combined last year for 2,300 rushing yards and 26 rushing touchdowns. What does that tell you? Now, Schrader, by all accounts, has very, very much put an emphasis this year on being more efficient in the passing game. Let's not deviate too far from what they did last year because this dude is a great runner. You partner him with Sean Tucker, and everybody's going to be mindful with where Sean Tucker is and when he has the football. That's a pretty dynamic one-two punch that you can rely on. Plus, you look at the back seven defensively. And in a pass-happy ACC, this back seven could be in a pretty good spot. Now, they're going to be a little bit smaller up front defensively, but they might have one of the best linebacker trios in the ACC in Michael Jones, Marlo Wax, and Stephon Thompson. That's a really good three-headed monster at linebacker, the core of your defense. Those guys will be very productive and will do an awful lot of great things for the second level defensively for the Orange. Here's the negatives. They're very one-dimensional offensively. So if you can slow their running game down, the likelihood of them being able to manufacture much on offense 
is extremely slim. They were 121st last year in the FBS, averaging 158 yards passing per game. It's not good enough. It also led to them averaging less than 25 points per game. So albeit, we already talked about the rushing stats, 26 touchdowns, all this sort of stuff, 2,300 yards, but they scored less than 25 points per game. It's not good enough. Not in an offense-led league like the ACC. And the offensive line is a big reason why they've had their struggles. If you look at the pressures and the sacks allowed and the numbers statistically for the offensive line the last couple of years, it's been a consistent problem. So to pull off major upsets, you got to be able to protect your quarterback and you got to be able to beat teams in more than one way. They have yet to really prove that here in the last couple of years since Garrett Schrader's taken over and since they've gone to a little bit more of a run-first approach at Syracuse, abandoning the passing game that got them to this point five or six years ago when they had the 10-win season. 10 seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sports book of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Hey, great stuff there. Great talking about these teams. I wouldn't want to play them. I'm just telling you, some of those teams, some of their qualities, very concerning to know they could be on the other sideline, especially if you're going to their place. So difficult teams, great leagues, great discussion. All right. Appreciate you being with us. Let's do our AP Poll takeaway of the day. The transfer portals made the world so much crazier. For the first time in quite a while, last year's preseason AP poll was a complete mess. You had three teams that were ranked in the top 10. That would be North Carolina, Texas A&M, and Iowa State that finished the season unranked. Then you had three teams that were unranked that finished the season in the top 10. That'd be Michigan, Michigan State, and Baylor. So I think the transfer portal has changed the game to the point in which it's almost impossible to put together a preseason poll. And if you need any further evidence, just take a peek at 2021. What a wild year it was. Thanks for being with us. Please like, rate, and subscribe. You can hit us up in our email at alwayscollegefootball at gmail.com. You can hit us up on social media at alwayscfb on Instagram and Twitter. So we appreciate the interaction there. Hit us up in the comments section if you're on ESPN's YouTube channel. It's really beneficial. We're trying to tailor the show to you, so it would really be helpful if you could give us a little bit of feedback from time to time. Really, really enjoy our interactions there on all of our social media platforms. So appreciate you being with us. For Mark Kubiak, I'm Greg McElroy. Hope you have a wonderful day. And remember, it's always college football. 
Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.